Hey everyone, we are back in our sermon series through the book of Exodus. Now the last sermon uh, I preached, we looked at the plagues. Uh, We only looked at the first nine plagues, and if you're familiar with the story, you would know that there was a tenth one. And the tenth one was the most devastating. Uh, This was the death of all the firstborn males. Now, in Exodus chapter 12, we see God giving Moses instructions on how the people of God are to practice the Passover. This is the inaugural Passover, the very first one that would go on to be practiced by the people of God generation after generation after generation. I believe the 10th plague and the Passover go hand in hand, that you cannot separate the two. The 10th plague in many ways, speaks of God's judgment over the sinful people of Egypt. And yet, at the same time, he says, I'm going to make a provision for my people. I'm going to provide protection for my people. Israel will be protected, God says. But this protection requires some preparation. And that preparation we see in Exodus chapter 12. Now, saying that, I also believe that the instructions that are given uh, to Moses to give to the people so that they might begin this this festival uh, called the Passover, we can see a lot of similarities with what Jesus does with his disciples in the upper room at the Last Supper. Now, some of you might be going, Oni, you're making uh, way too many leaps and jumps here. Uh, I would say to you, just hold on. If you stay with me, my hope is that you'll get to see these similarities. And so in doing so, I want to point out four things from our text. Look, Exodus chapter 12 is a massive text. There are 51 verses, and we cannot go line by line by line, but it is something I encourage you to do. And so for the sake of time, I want to give you uh, some handles, if you will, Uh, that'll help us understand what's going on here in Exodus chapter 12 and and how uh, that is similar to what Jesus uh, communicates to his disciples at the Last Supper, something that we continue to do today. And those four things are, in the Passover meal, uh, the people of God get a new identity, right? The, The Israelites get this new identity. That's number one. Number two is this new identity then places them in a shared community. All right, that's number two. Number three uh, is that all of this is made possible because of a shared sacrifice. And then lastly, uh, they can anchor themselves in a shared hope as they look forward. All right, so a new identity that allows them to live in a shared community, uh, that all of this is made possible because of a shared sacrifice, and therefore they have a shared hope that allows them to persevere to the end. Let's jump in. In the Passover meal, the Israelites are being called to a new identity. We see that in the first two verses. It says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month is to be the beginning of months for you. It is the first month of your year. Now, up until this point, the lives of the Israelites had been dictated by agricultural seasons of the nation of Egypt. Uh, Their agricultural calendar dictated when they worked, what they did, and which gods were to be worshipped for success. It was all about the Egyptians and what they believed in. 
But now as God redeems his people, he makes them new in every sense of the word. God declares that history, specifically the Exodus rescue, will determine their calendar now. That from this day forward, the people would have a calendar designed to remind them of how they became a people. How they were delivered by God's power out of bondage. And unlike society today where we uh, celebrate uh, holidays because of the achievements of men and women, here they're celebrating not because of the achievements of men and women. In fact, they could do absolutely nothing to save themselves. Here they're being reminded of all that God has done. They're celebrating all the work that God has done as he liberates his people, taking them from a place of slavery to a place of freedom. He gives them a new identity. Now this new identity then places them in a shared community. We see this in verses 3 and 4 of Exodus chapter 12. In fact, this is the first place where Israel is called a community, or as the uh, English Standard uh, Version uh, puts it, a congregation. They are called to gather together as one community, as one body, even though they are gathering in multiple households. Does this sound familiar? That as the church is scattered, even now, in our time today, we still remain the church, one body. God doesn't just redeem uh, people for themselves, but he redeems them and then places them in community, that God is forming a family for himself from all people. It is a people with a shared beginning, a shared identity, and a shared purpose to worship together. And so from this new identity, he then places us into a shared community. This is why an isolated Christian does not make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. And, and we've believed the lie that, that it's, it's all about you and that, that you're on your own and that you should do everything by yourself. God doesn't do that. God cares for us so much so that he places us into a community. Now, this community uh, is distinct. Uh, it's, it's different. It's got, it's got different flavors. It puts on display God's creative genius, but it is still one community, one body. We are one family. And so a new identity placed into a shared community and all of this made possible because of the sacrifice that we all share in. A shared sacrifice. You see, the instructions for this inaugural Passover is that the, the people are to find a, a, an animal, particularly a sheep or goat, one that is one year old, a male, one that is perfect, that is without blemish or, or spots, and that this, this lamb is, is then to be slaughtered. Let me read Exodus chapter 12 from verse 21. It says, Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go, select an animal from the flock according to your families and slaughter the Passover animal. 
Take a cluster of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and brush the lintel and the two doorposts with some of the blood in the basin. None of you may go out the door of his house until morning. Verse 23, when the Lord passes through to strike Egypt and sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, he will pass over the door and not let the destroyer enter your houses to strike you. God says, if you are obedient to these instructions, if you do this which I have commanded you to do, I will pass over your household and you will not experience this tenth plague, this judgment that was coming over the nation of Egypt. That God, in a sense, is protecting his people. He's providing for them a way, a way to escape this death and condemnation. God continues to do that even today. He continues to do that even today. That through Jesus, God passes over us. And, and so therefore, Jesus is the one who, who, whom our sins are placed over. And those who come under the covering of our Lord and Savior, God passes over and grants us mercy. He was granting the Israelites who were obedient to these instructions, he was granting them mercy. We must not forget that the Israelites were just as sinful as the Egyptians. They were just as sinful as the Egyptians. Yes, they were a chosen people, but they were still a sinful people. Romans 3 verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I love this word all, simply because it means all. All of us, rich and poor, young and old, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so all of us are in desperate need of a Savior. All of us are in desperate need of God's kindness and mercy. And so the Israelites were in need of a Savior. And so God goes, okay, okay, let me, let me, let me give you something to do that, that would, in a sense, give you a picture of what I am doing throughout history. Now, we could ask the question, why do this, right? Like, why? Is there, is there any magic in the lamb? Is there any magic in its blood? Is there any magic in us smearing the blood on our doorposts? Like, like why did they have to do this? Isn't God all-knowing? Wouldn't he just be able to look into the hearts of the Israelites and go, yes, obedient, obedient, disobedient, obedient, obedient, disobedient. Oh, you have faith, no faith over here. Like, surely God could do that. He's all-knowing. He could. But this sign that we see here that would be practiced generation after generation after generation. It wasn't for God to see what's going on. Remember, he can see in our hearts, but it was for the Israelites to understand what God is doing. The sign was for their benefit. You see, it, this act was, was taking the, the Israelites from a, a faith of just thoughts and words into a faith of actions. 
they act on their belief in God's right and power to kill and to save. That's essentially what's going on here. Now, for many of us, this makes us uncomfortable, uh, that, that God judges, that, 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 God, that God punishes uh, for those who are sinful. But if God didn't do this, then God wouldn't be good. He, he wouldn't be good. But God is good, and He is just. That God cannot let sin go unpunished. But He provides a way for us. For you and me, sinful human beings, He provides a way for us. He is merciful. And so in this inaugural Passover, He says, okay, I've got a plan here for you. I've got a plan for you. Take this lamb, slaughter it, and then smear the blood on your doorposts. And do this in faith. And when you do so, I will pass over you. That that, that will satisfy my wrath. Now, now we know this side of the story that, that, that it, it, didn't, it, it wasn't the complete satisfaction for God's wrath. It just, it wasn't. Hence, Jesus had to come. But I'm getting there too quickly. Let's continue in our story here. They're called to slaughter the slam, then to smear the blood on the doorposts, but there's more instructions given to them. They're told to eat the lamb, to partake of this lamb. Now, what does Jesus tell his disciples to do in the upper room? He breaks bread and he says, this is my body broken for you. Eat in remembrance of me. He calls them to partake. And when we partake, we enter into fellowship. We enter into this relationship with Jesus. And here, God is saying, I want to enter into a relationship with my people. I don't just save you and then go, all right, then go do that which I have commanded you to do. No, he says, I want to enter into a relationship with you. I want you to be my people. I want to be your God. And so we partake. He commands them to partake, to eat together in this shared community as a new people because of this new identity. Partake. And so the question today is, will you partake? Uh, Maybe you have been transformed by the gospel and so therefore you have a new identity. And you've said yes to being in a shared community, but are you partaking? Are you communing with God? Are you fellowshipping with Him? He tells them to to eat of the lamb, but He also tells them to eat the unleavened bread. We see this in Exodus chapter 12, verse 15, where it says, You must eat unleavened bread for seven days. Seven days. On the first day, you must remove yeast from your houses. Whoever eats what is leavened from the first day through the seventh day must be cut off from Israel. Now, what's going on here? To fully understand it, I believe we need to search the scriptures. We say this often, scripture interprets scripture. And so if we are to survey the Bible, we'll see that in it, 
Leaven often symbolizes error or evil. The substance itself is a result of flour and water that is left to decay and ferment. And so in the New Testament, both Jesus and Paul the Apostle warn us about leaven in speaking about it in terms of false doctrine and lies that the church is told. We're also informed that it only takes a little bit of this to have an impact on the rest of it. They're telling us that it takes a little sin to destroy a person or a community. Or as the saying goes, it only takes one rotten potato to spoil the whole bunch. This tells us that we are to take sin seriously. Take sin seriously. That it, that it only takes a little bit. I, I know, I know, you and I will often will go, well, I'm not hurting anyone. This is just me failing to recognize that this spreads into the community, and not just into the community, but even into our society. That it has massive implications. And so God here commands them to eat unleavened bread for seven days, he says. The number seven in the Bible speaks of perfection. And so eating of this perfect bread also symbolizes a perfection of provision that God has for his people. Seven days worth. But we'll see more of this in Exodus chapter 16, uh, where manna comes from the heavens. Beautiful story. And so God says, first things first. I need you to, to settle uh, the, the, this, this wrath that's coming your way because of your sinfulness. And so slaughter this animal, smear the blood so that I might pass over you. But once that's done, let's enter into fellowship. Let's have a party. Let's table together. And so eat, partake, enjoy. I have provided for you. An interesting thing, uh, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 11, is how God commands them to eat. Read with me. It says, here's how you must eat it. You must be dressed for travel, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You are to eat in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. Why? Why is he calling them to eat quickly? Well, I believe it's because God wants them to be ready to leave at any moment. To, to, to live in such a state that you are always in expectation of God's movements, that you are ready to follow. See, doing this demonstrated that they really believed that God would do what he said he would do. God's going to liberate us, so be ready. Be ready. Now, this couldn't have been easy. I can only imagine. After living in slavery for 400 years, and then being told, okay, now is the time. It's like, I, 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 really? Why now? Where, where was God 200 years ago? Where was he 100 years ago? Why, why, why now? We've been living in this state for years. And so for many, going elsewhere is hard because they still had the mindset of a slave unliberated, with no hope of a better future. And so it's just easier to stay put and keep surviving. Aren't we the same? Our new identity 
telling us that there is a better future for us, but we still hear the voice of sin in the background, and, and, and we've been living in that state for so long that, that it's, it's like, I don't know if God's going to do it. I mean, he says it over and over and over and over again, but I, I, I just, I don't know. See, when we eat in a hurry, sandals on, staff in hand, ready to move, it says, no, God, when God moves, we move. And we trust and we believe. Do we today trust and believe? Do you live in expectation? Or have you become comfortable with the status quo? Have you settled for what's before you? Or are your eyes on the kingdom that is advancing? And so... In the Passover meal, we're given a new identity. We're placed in a shared community. We are to recognize that all of this is made possible because of the sacrifice that we all share in. And then we're called to have a shared hope. A shared hope that allows us to persevere. Read with me Exodus chapter 12 verse 14, where God calls them to remember this Passover. For the generations to come. It says, this day is to be a memorial, a memorial for you. And you must celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You are to celebrate it throughout your generations as a permanent statute. He goes on to say a little bit further in the second part of verse 17. You must observe this day throughout your generations as a permanent statute. He's saying to them, remember, remember, remember this. Why? Well, one, because we are forgetful people. And so in the face of danger, we can quickly find ourselves wanting to go back to the days of slavery. We'll see this in the book of Exodus. As challenges come to the people of God, they begin to grumble and say, oh, it was better uh, back in Egypt. How, how, how could it have ever been better in bondage? And so remember, God says, do this year after year after year. This will help you keep your eyes on the future, the hope that I have promised you. Let me take you to the upper room. Luke chapter 22 from verse 7, but I'm not going to read it. You can go read it in your own time. He's with his disciples and he's in a sense, laying out why he has come and, 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 and why his sacrifice is necessary. And then he gives instructions for the Lord's Supper, what we also refer to as communion. And then he also tells them to remember. I want you to know that Jesus is the perfect, spotless, unblemished, sinless lamb. Now you might go, on a, where, where does it say that? How do you know that? Well, let's let John the Baptist tell us. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. He came to prepare the way for Jesus. And he says in John chapter 1, verse 29, when he sees Jesus, Behold, 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I'm sure that people might have been looking around going, okay, where, where, where is this lamb? Because, you know, every year this is what we do. So where is this lamb? Why is John the Baptist pointing to this man called Jesus? It's because John the Baptist recognized what God had been doing. And that Jesus, his sacrifice uh, inaugurates a, a, a new festival, if you will. A, a new reason to celebrate. That what had been done previously was, was just a, a trailer attraction to what Jesus had come to do. So John the Baptist says, Behold. But then Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, speaking of Christ, he says, For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. So Paul also recognizes what God had been doing. He goes all the way back to Exodus chapter 12, the instructions given to the people of God that they are to do this for generation after generation after generation until I send you the perfect, spotless, unblemished, sinless lamb. And so Paul writes about him and he says, he changes everything. But maybe you need one more. So let me take you to 1 Peter. This is the Apostle Peter. He joins the party in recognizing Jesus as the spotless, sinless, unblemished lamb. Where he refers to him in that way. That that is who he is. And he says, oh, how precious the blood of Jesus. How precious the blood of Jesus. And so the question today is as you look through Exodus chapter 12, and you see this inaugural Passover, and then you look to Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, would you count yourself as one of those who God would pass over? Mercy being granted to you, experiencing the grace of God through the blood of Jesus. Jesus tells his disciples that this is now what you are to do. He, he, he doesn't say that the, the, the Passover was, was worthless and it, it didn't have any meaning. No, 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 no. He comes in, in a sense, upgrades it. And he says, here's now what we are to do. And so he now calls them to remember. He says, now in me there is a new identity and now I'm going to place you in this new community and, and because of the sacrifice that I have made for you and now I want you to keep your eyes on the future hope. He calls them to remember, just like God called the Israelites to remember. And so just as the Jews were told to celebrate this forever, this Passover that we see in Exodus chapter 12, they, in a sense, were only celebrating something that was temporary. Jesus commands us to remember the true redemption when he says, do this in remembrance of me. That people should see that Jesus is the one who protects us. That Jesus is the one who covers our homes. That Jesus is the one who gives us life. That Jesus is the one who makes us distinct from the world by placing us in this new shared community. Jesus is the one who gives us a sense of purpose. Jesus is the one who literally changes everything. And so what, what will you do? Will you lean into this gospel? 
Or will you be like the Egyptians? Will you experience the judgment of God? And hear me, you don't want to. You don't want to. No one wants to. At the core of who we are, we don't want to. But do not harden your heart. That today is the day for you to repent and believe, which simply means to turn away from whatever it is that you are hoping will give you life and meaning. Whatever it is that you're believing will cover you. Turn to Jesus. Because only in him can we be fully covered. We have a changed identity. We are new creations with a new agenda for life. Our salvation is not living better so God loves us. No, no, that's, that's not what it's about. It's accepting that he loves you when you couldn't do better. This beautiful truth transforms us, and as a result, our entire lives are transformed. We are given a new calendar driven by the events of the cross. That we are changed and placed in communities where we worship God for who he is and what he has done. And then also that we have this shared community, a common identity, if you will. We go from being alone in the dark, thinking only of ourselves, to being fellow citizens and co-heirs, members of a common household with one strong, loving, gracious father with many brothers and sisters. Together we are saved. Together we grow. Together we worship. Together we go into the world just like Jesus did. And so in a sense, in Exodus chapter 12, God is preparing his people and he's saying, through you, through you, I want to transform the world. The mission hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. We see this in Matthew 28 as Jesus gives his disciples the great commission and he says, through you, we're going to change the world. But it starts with a changed identity, a new identity, placed in a shared community, a common identity, recognizing that we share in one sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, giving us a better tomorrow, a better future, our eyes set on the kingdom of God. And so will you, will you be counted among those who God passes over? That's the question today. Really, in all 51 of these verses, of Exodus, Exodus chapter 12, the question is, will you be counted as one who God will pass over? And that can be made possible by putting your trust in Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. And so, Father, I, I, I'm asking, I'm pleading with you to transform the hearts of people, to move them from darkness to light, from slavery to freedom, from orphan to child, a child of your kingdom, one who looks to you, God, as Father, placed in a family with many brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray that 
As we look at the inaugural Passover, we would recognize that, God, you have always had this redemptive plan in your mind, that you set it in motion and that it was fulfilled when Jesus came and lived the life that we could not live and died the death that we all deserved. That in him, we have a new identity. So Lord, I ask that you would help us, help us to, to live in light of this truth, to remember it, to put our trust in you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.